into our, our scripture verse um, that we're going to be kind of hanging out in this morning. It's a very well-known story. It's the story of Adam and Eve, the story of the fall, the story of how uh, they took that bite from that forbidden fruit and everything just kind of went downhill um, from there. But it's a, it's a tragic story, but one of the things about the story of, of Adam and Eve is that it actually doesn't start off as a tragedy. It actually starts off as a romance, and uh, a Valentine's Day romance, if you will. But this, they've, they've got this, this relationship, and the, the background of this story that we're going to read is Adam and Eve, uh, they're there in the Garden of Eden, lush, beautiful paradise, and uh, we're going to pick it up in Genesis chapter 2, verse 22, where it says this. It says, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of a man. If this sounds familiar to you, it's, it's read a lot at weddings. Um, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So here we have this significant moment in history. God has just breathed the galaxies into existence. Milky Way, uh, he's Mount Everest, Mount Baker, the Bahamas. Boof, God breathes it all into existence. Then he creates the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, and they've got this really close relationship. The Bible uses words to describe it like united, one flesh. They are together, they're close on many different levels. But there's one verse that we don't often read in this, this passage that I think just really describes how, how close they are and how intimate they are. Um, it goes like this. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now you know why we probably don't read it very often. But um, here they are in this place, and there's the last lines where we're going to really hang out. They, there's no shame at all. Um, and I love that line, actually, for a few different reasons. First, I have a wife. The line makes me thankful that God is so awesome that he would create and create this awesome stuff that goes along with having a wife. Um, God is good. But there's another reason I love that line, and it's because it's, it's not just a picture of what's going on on the outside of them, they've got no clothes on, but it's also a picture of what's going on inside of them. They are in a place where they're feeling no shame at all. And it's like they're going, here I am, um, here's all of me, uh, I'm fully exposed inside and outside, we're intimately united, body, heart, and soul, and I'm 100% okay with that totally okay. There's no fear that the other person is not going to accept them. There's no worrying about being found out for who they, who they really are. They're feeling no shame, fully exposed on every level and feeling no shame at all. And when I hear a line like that, which I don't really hear a whole lot, but when I, when I hear a line like that, it kind of grabs my attention. Because I think for, for most people, this kind of feeling no shame is, is, is very, very uh, rare. I know for me, I've rarely experienced this in my, in my life. And if you're like most people, I would guess probably the common experience for us is at one time or another to have this, this struggle, this battle with, with shame. Not wanting people to really see who we are. Not wanting to be exposed, to be vulnerable. It's this, this, this hiding. Adam and Eve are in this spot where they are exposed and they feel no shame. And I can't remember, you know, for me, when it first 
begun, but, but I do remember when shame really took over, and we're just going to kind of unpack this morning what, what we're talking about when we talk about shame, and I got a warning on the front end. By the time we get to the end, you're going to be going, okay, give us the good stuff, Rich, because I'm going to paint the picture of shame and how awful shame is that's going to make us just go, okay, let's hear what God's Word has to say about being free, but here we go. Um, for me, shame really took over like it does, I think, for a lot of people. It started when I was a teenager, not when I was 30 and not when I was 20, but when I was a teenager in those ever-important, those identity-shaping years is where uh, shame really started to take over. And I had this issue as a teenager that just about ruined my life. And uh, it made me wish on many occasions that I'd never been born. And um, I had a face, and even today, a face that goes red quite easily. And uh, I was known throughout my school as Red Richie. That's how, that's how often my face would go red. And uh, it was the strangest thing. Um, you know, most people, if they're going to blush, if their face is going to go red, it'll, some, they'll do something embarrassing, and then it will go red. I had this thing where I would actually be, so I'd be sitting at the lunchroom table, and I would think in my head, okay, I don't want to have my face go red here, because if my face goes red, then I'll be embarrassed. And everybody will look at me, and I'll be the laughing stock of the table. And just that thought would trigger some kind of chemical reaction in my brain, and it would make my face go red. And so this was the story of my entire teenage years. I mean, you could ask my brothers, my parents. They'll be like, yeah, we felt Rich's pain on a number of occasions because it looked like his face was going to explode. I mean, it was that bad. But I would be sitting, whether it was the lunchroom, or I would be sitting, and it would be picture day at the school, and I would hate picture day because it would always mean there I am at the front, the lineup's behind me, and I'm sitting on the stool, and my face would go red, or I'd be talking to a girl that I had no tr- attraction to whatsoever, but my thought in my brain would be, okay, if, if my face goes red, she's going to think I like her. Sure enough, my face would go red, and then I'd be trying to look for any escape to get out of that conversation. I'd be sitting at home with my family. You would think of your family, it's not going to happen, but it would go red. And, and that happened over and over and over and over and over and over and over again as a teenager to the point where I would actually lay in bed at night going, I mean, my thoughts would be, God, I wish that you had created me with a darker skin tone because then people wouldn't be seeing my face go red all the time. I thought that all the time. And I was never actually suicidal, but I, I was right on the doorstep of going, this stinks. It was that bad. And it's okay if you, you're, now you're all feeling bad because you laughed. Don't feel bad. I'm, I've kind of moved on. But, uh, um, but it, was, it was so bad. But, but what, the thought that, that just keep, kept brewing deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into, into my heart as all this stuff is going on, the thought that kept burrowing deeper was, Rich, you're a freak. You're weird. Nobody else has this issue and I was just full of shame. I hated myself because of this. And a lot of people, sometimes you start talking about shame, a lot of people get guilt and shame kind of mixed up, but they're different. And here's, here's how they're different, and it will help you understand what we're talking about this morning when we're talking about shame. Guilt says there's, not, there's something wrong with what you've done, whereas shame says there's something wrong with who you are. Guilt says Rats, it's Valentine's Day. I totally forgot about it. I forgot to get my wife flowers. I got to do something about that. Shame comes along on the other hand and says, you forgot to get flowers? What kind of a man are you? What kind of a husband are you? 
you must be a horrible person because you didn't get your wife flowers. You see how they're different? Shame says there's something wrong with who you are. It's this, this state of internal condemnation. You condemn yourself. You think you're bad, you're a screw-up, you're dirty, you're a failure. And maybe it's not always there, but you, but you experience that a lot. And it is a horrible place to be in. But here I was, this teenager, convinced that there was something wrong with me. And when you're convinced that there's something wrong with you, all the other stuff that comes along with shame, it, it just comes crowding in. You, you start feeling worthless. You start feeling rejected. You start feeling like an outcast. You start feeling like you're just unlovable. And I wish that I could tell you this morning, okay, that happened 20 years ago, but I don't struggle with shame anymore. It's not true. Just this last week, getting ready to have a meeting with another pastor friend of mine, and, and the thoughts that, that kind of creep up are, okay, Rich, you got to you know, careful how you say things because you don't want to be perceived in the wrong light. And you, just don't, you, you don't want them to see who you really, really are. And you just got to gotta be careful, Rich. You got to have a bit of a wall there. Not wanting someone to see who I really am, that, that's shame. And shame is a horrible, horrible place to be stuck in. If you've ever experienced it, you've ever been there, it's a horrible place to be stuck in. And there's many doors in our lives where, where shame loves to sneak in and plant its destructive poison. But I just want to go through a, a few of the more common ones. Um, past sin or mistakes. Shame will work its way in through past sin and mistakes. You, you've done something in the past, and that voice of shame will just rub it in. I've shared a, a few times how several years ago I gambled away thousands of dollars. And shame today, if, I've ever, if I ever get in a place where I am struggling financially or maybe make a mistake financially, shame is right on the doorstep to say, hey, Rich, yeah, you deserve what you got right now. Rich, you, you, are, you are screw up. You're a failure financially. What kind of dad would have done that back then? And now here you are. Nothing's changed at all. It's right there trying to pounce on, on past mistakes, past sin. And, and it, happens, it happens all the time. Um, maybe for you it's something different. You know, sexual sin has a... It has a, often has a huge role to play in shame in people's lives. You know, it's the, 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 the guy that's just stuck with this addiction, and um, rather than feeling bad for the wrong he's done, uh, he just keeps hearing that nagging voice saying, you're messed up, there's something desperately wrong with you. It's, it's shame that's just preying on, on past sin and mistakes. Uh, another way that shame tries to creep in is uh, uses physical appearance, physical appearance. So for me, it was my red face. Something's wrong with me. Maybe for you, it's not a red face, but it's, it's something else that has to do with your physical appearance. Uh, Becky and I have a friend who just recently shared her story about how she grew up just full of shame over her physical appearance. And, and for me, so my, my shame, a lot of the, the arrows, the voices of shame, a lot of them were just in my head. This friend of ours the voice of shame came directly from her dad. Her dad was saying things like she'd go down to, uh, to she'd go for seconds and her dad would just heap on the shame and say, hey, you got to cut, cut, cut that out. Uh, first thing in the morning, every time he'd tell her, hey, you need to go to the bathroom and, and put on some makeup and do something about that face. Um, saying this kind of stuff over and over, just ridiculing her left and right. And as a result, she's got this shame that she's grown up with. How's a kid 
supposed to grow up with a solid identity when she's hearing that kind of stuff over and over again from her own father. So many people, though they struggle with a sense of shame over their physical appearance, hearing thoughts like there's something wrong with you, you're unlovable, unworthy, you're out of control, you're a failure, that is, that's shame preying on physical appearance. Another area that shame preys on is, is socioeconomic status. So you might maybe find yourself at the lower end of the socio, socioeconomic spectrum. It might be poverty. It might be, might be really close to poverty. And one thing that people on the other end of that spectrum don't often realize is how shame will try to creep its way in there. And, and it, it can be debilitating. You know, you feel ashamed standing before your family on Christmas morning with barely anything under the tree. Or you, you feel ashamed as you stand in line at the food bank. You, you can't walk into the food bank with your, your head down or your head up. Your head is always down because there's this, there's this shame with, with where you're at. Ashamed as you sit in the foyer at DSHS waiting your turn. Ashamed as you've got to call and ask a friend or family member for more help. Shame just will prey on that situation. And the voice says, there's something wrong with you. Why can't you get your act together? Something is wrong. And it's shame. Another area is, is with a weak sense of identity. So if you've got a weak sense of identity, shame will just prey on that. Teenagers are at a spot in life where, where they're prone to this because a teenager is in a spot where they're, they're just trying to figure out who they are. What's this life all about? Who am I? Who has God created me to be? And it's in that situation that, that shame will come in and just plant all the wrong seeds like it did with me. There's something wrong with you. Why can't none of your friends really want to be around you? Why can't you make the team? There's, there's something, you're a failure, you're a mess up. Shame creeps in there all the time. You know, I pray that we are a church that loves teenagers and affirms teenagers over and over and over and over again. Don't just walk past teenagers when you see them in church on Sunday morning. You know, I know that maybe you've tried to talk to teenagers and, you, and they just look, they, it looks like they're, they're bored out of their tree and they look like they want to hurt you as you're having that conversation, like they're mad. Keep having that conversation anyways. Affirm them because your words of affirmation in a teenager's life where they're just trying to figure out who they are, your words of affirmation are shields against the arrows of shame, big time. But shame will find any doorway into your heart that it can. And we just named a few. We could talk about so many others. You know, a lot of times shame will use people's ethnicity to just plant seeds and thoughts that about how there's, there's something wrong with you. I've grown up very close with the, uh, the Native American community, and I've seen this over and over again. And is it any, any wonder why? You know, even like less than a generation ago, there's a sound playing back here. But less than a generation ago, um, is anybody else hearing that? Okay, awesome. <laughs> awesome. I feel so much better. <laughs> You're all dead quiet, so I thought, oh, maybe it's just me. <laughs> but less than a generation ago, um, sons and daughters were ripped out of homes and put in these boarding schools. They had their, their, their traditional clothing stripped of them, their traditional language stripped of them. They were forced to have their, their hair cut, 
forced through all this stuff. And what was the message that was being ingrained over and over again? There's something wrong with who you are. And many people today struggle with shame as a result of, 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 their ethni- of, the, of, of how the enemy has worked through their ethnicity. And we could go on and on and on and on. There's so many ways that shame will try to creep into your life. And, and I don't think I'd be out to lunch and saying that we all deal with shame in one way or another. And to think, so that I read this story about Adam and Eve, and I read this line that says they were fully exposed and they felt no shame, and I go, wow, I'd love to experience that. But as you know, with, with the story of Adam and Eve, things tragically change. God tells them, hey, you can eat any tree in this garden. You can eat any fruit from any tree in this garden except this one here. And what do they do? Well, the serpent comes slithering into the garden, convinces them that the heart of God is, is against them and that God can't be trusted. And so they take a bite of this forbidden fruit and things just radically change. The Bible describes what happens next. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God. That's going to be a key part to where we're going. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? I love that God didn't just abandon them. I love that God, as he always does, he went after them. And, and Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. Things have drastically changed from feeling no shame to all of a sudden they're going, okay, we've got to hide. We've got to get away from, from, from God as fast as we can. And in this story, we see how, you know, there's, there's probably some guilt there, but unlike guilt, guilt can be a good thing, and that it, it, sometimes it'll lead you to to, to this godly sorrow, the Bible calls it, this godly sorrow that will lead to, you, to repentance and will lead to change. It'll lead you kind of out of hiding. But shame, on the other hand, its effect is that it leads you into hiding. It causes fear. It causes you to be afraid. It causes you to, to just to push away relationships, to push away God. It causes you to go into hiding. And like it does with, with Adam and Eve, shame just has this devastating effect on our lives. It's so painful, so debilitating that we'll do anything that we can to avoid it. And as a result, it pushes us away from relationship and into hiding. Adam and Eve, they go from being out in the open to hiding from God. And, and we do the same. You know, maybe, maybe the hiding for you might be going, okay, I'm just going to push away relationships. I'm just going to keep people at a, at a distance because I don't want them to discover whatever it is that's causing that shame in your life. So you push people away. Um, another way that we go into hiding sometimes is we just put on a mask. We go, okay, I'm going to hide who I really am because who I really am, people aren't going to really love and accept me for who I really am. So I'm just going to wear a mask. And so you've got, you've got the kid that shows up in, in your class at high school, and he just, he's inside. He's just feeling unlovable, unworthy. And what does he do? He just puts on this big funny guy personality because he wants to hide behind that mask. Or it's the guy who's, who puts on the, the tough guy persona because that's his way of, of hiding and putting on a mask and, trying to, and, and avoiding having to go to this place of shame. And when we, when we put on a mask in order to be loved and accepted, 
You know, the downside of that, there's a lot of downsides, but one is that the only thing that gets loved is the mask, not me. But shame, it, it pushes us into this place of hiding. We push away relationships. Another way it, that shame is so destructive is that it drives us to build a protective wall around our heart. You're going, okay, here's this, my, my heart's here and here's this wall and I'm going to protect my heart because if I let people in, if I let people hear about where I'm really at, if I let people really get to know me, if I let people in on whatever this source of shame is and just share what's going on, then I'm not going to be loved. So I'm just going to keep this wall here around my heart. And as a result, vulnerability, you know, being intimate, close, getting to know people, relationship, those are difficult because you've got a wall around your heart. No one really gets to know you. And then another thing that shame does is it destroys our sense of identity and makes us uncomfortable in our own skin. Everybody who struggles with shame, you've got something that triggers that shame. So it might be something you did in the past that triggers that. Maybe it's when somebody makes a a comment about who you are and and laughs at who you are. For me, the trigger for my, my shame, even today, the thing that triggers shame in my life is embarrassment. When I get embarrassed, maybe it's because I, I say something wrong or because whatever, it triggers shame like nothing else. And if your identity, if you look at your identity as a compass and you've got like true north, you, you know who you are, you got true north, your identity is solid, you just got it kind of figured out, what shame does is it takes that, that needle that's pointing north and it causes it to go like this. So when, when, how it plays out for me is when Rich gets embarrassed, in that moment, my needle is on, on, the, on the inside. On the outside, you don't see nothing. But on the inside, it's going like this. And very quickly, identity just com- it unravels. It just comes falling apart. I'm uncomfortable in my own skin. I'm uncomfortable with who I am. And, and, and the same thing happens whenever you get in that place of, of shame. You, you, gotta, you feel like you've got to pretend to be someone that you're not. It destroys your sense of identity and makes us uncomfortable in our own skin. That's kind of the bad news about shame. Who wants to hear the good news about how to be set free from shame? Yeah, okay. Me too. I'm in the same boat. One of the good news about, about the God that we serve is that he came to set captives free. He came to get the stuck unstuck. And there's some, some, some things that, that we can do if, if you're in a place where shame is a battle, there are some things that, that you can do in order to, to, to walk down that path towards freedom from shame. And the first thing is this, and it's, it could be one of the most important, the, the most important one here, but it's this. Courageously step out from hiding and choose to live a life of authenticity, confession, and empathy. We see this with Adam and Eve. So they've, they've messed up, and God comes along, and he comes walking through the garden, and, and Adam and Eve, they're, they're there hiding, and God says, where are you? Adam could choose to stay hiding behind that, that bush, but, but he doesn't. I mean, it's God, so God's going to discover him anyways. God knows where he's at, but, but Adam comes out of hiding, and he says, hey, we, we were afraid, and, and so we hid. I mean, that's really, when you think about it, that's a pretty real statement that Adam's making there. This is what's going on in my life. He, he, was, he was authentic, and which led to, to confession. 
And when, when you're authentic, when you, when you can confess, it's one of the, the, one of the only ways to begin to get out of the shame cycle. When you, can, when you can have people in your life and you can go, okay, here is what I'm struggling with. Here's what I'm battling with. It br- begins to bring freedom. Hiding in shame is the enemy of freedom. Hiding in shame is the enemy of your deliverance. It's the enemy of healing. When you can begin to courageously step out from hiding and go, okay, this is where I'm at, and I'm going to, with the people in my life, I'm just going to begin to share. We talked about that word, vulnerable. I'm just going to begin to put my heart out there and share. It's, it's, it's the first step on your path to healing. And then the next important thing is empathy. So authenticity and confession, that's, that's what's required of the person who's walking in shame. But empathy is what's required of anyone wanting to be a good friend to the person who's walking in shame. And I love what, what Brene Brown, she's this lady, has done a ton of great research on shame and vulnerability. And she, she just captures really good here how crucial empathy is to, being, to just experiencing healing from shame. She says, empathy is the antidote to shame. If you put shame in a Petri dish, it needs three, three, three things to grow exponentially. It needs secrecy, silence, and judgment. If you put the same amount of shame in a Petri dish and douse it with empathy, it can't survive. The two most powerful words when we're in struggle with shame are these, me too. Me too. Empathy. Not, not judgment. Not, I can't believe, wow, that, that's what's causing shame. That's, that's what's going on in your life. It's, it's, man, I struggle with it too. I struggle with shame as well. And when dealing with people who are, who are walking in shame, it's so important to walk alongside of them on this journey. You're not the helper and they're, they're the helpy. No, we're all in this together, right? We're all in this together. We need one another. And when you can be courageous enough to go, okay, this part of me I've kept hidden, I've kept secret, I've kept it in this, this silent place, but I'm going to be courageous enough to step out and share. And when the person on the receiving end is full of grace like Jesus, it is healing to shame. And, you know, there are, are many ways to, to, to find relationship. Maybe for you, it means you're looking at the relationships that you already have and you go, okay, I'm just going to, for me, being courageous is just stepping out. I've got this stuff that I've been wrestling with for years and has, has been the source of shame in my life. I'm just going to start sharing that. But there, there's ways that you can begin to find relationship. And next, so courageously step out from hiding. Then the, the second thing is investigate where the shame originated and invite Christ in to heal you. And here's what, here's what I mean by that. So I struggled, going back to my my struggle, my journey with shame. Um, I struggled with the, the red face deal for many, 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 many years. And as a result, it, it tainted my relationships with people. It tainted my relationships with God. You know, I'm, I, I just had a wall around my heart when it came to people. I would only let people in so far. And just to be totally honest with you, I still to this day struggle with that as a result of what happened way back then. But w- uh, when I was around 30... So about 15 years after this big battle that I had, I had a friend of mine who came up to me and said, Rich, it's almost like, this, here's how I see you, Rich. It's like you've got a, a, a pretty big heart that wants to love people, but it's like 
your heart wants to expand, but it's just in the vice grip of this, this fear, this shame, this, this worry about who you are and how people are going to accept you. Are they, are they going to accept you or are they going to reject you? And as a result of your heart being held like that, it's, it's just not free to love. And I, I really didn't know what to do with that. But then two years later, I had another friend of mine who I've, I finally opened up when I was right around 30, I finally opened up with someone about all this red face stuff that had gone on when I was a teenager. I mean, 15 years later, 10 years ago, I would have never stand up here and tell, tell you about all this stuff that happened when I was a teenager because I'd be thinking, oh, man, it's going to happen again, and then nobody's going to think I'm a freak and all this kind of stuff. But I was, I was sharing this with this friend of mine and saying, hey, this is, I was a teenager, I had this red face stuff, and it just became the source of shame. I just was so afraid about how, what, how people would perceive me and all this kind of stuff. And my friend, as we went back to the source of shame, my friend said, okay, Rich, this is what I want you to do. Just imagine for a second, or, or just tell me, Rich, as you're sitting there, go back in your mind, and Rich, as you're sitting there at the lunch table with your friends there in, in your school, where do you see Jesus in that moment? And it was easy for me, because I... I saw Jesus, he's like way off on the other side of the room. He's just standing there, he's kind of got his arms crossed, and he's just, he's just watching me, he's, he's letting me go through this because he's trying to shape something in me, trying to shape some character or something in me, and so he's just kind of standing there watching with kind of just a distant, distant, distant look on his face. And my friend, he said, okay, here's what I want you to do, Rich. I want you to ask Jesus, Jesus, where were you really in that moment? So I did that. I mean, it's just a simple question. Jesus, where were you when I was going through all that? And instantly, it, the thought, whatever came to my mind, he was right there beside me, loving me, caring for me, holding me, with me on that whole journey where I just thought he didn't care. He was just kind of standing far off. And it's amazing how when you go back to your source of shame and you let Jesus come in and heal you, you let Jesus come in and speak truth to, to what was really going on there, it's amazing how when you hear the truth, it sets you free. God's word is, is on to something there. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And in that moment, it's like I heard all over again that God is an ever-present help in, in times of trouble. That he, he, he was with me. He hadn't abandoned me. He wasn't standing off uncaring, unloving, but he was loving me like crazy. And as I, as I went back to that source of shame, Christ came in and brought healing. And, you know, sometimes you have to go back and, and let God heal you. And it might be the hardest thing you'll ever have to do, but it's absolutely essential for your healing. Absolutely essential. You know, sometimes God gets a bad rap when we talk about the Garden of Eden. We talk about Adam and Eve. He gets this bad rap. We kind of look at God as, okay, really, God, they just, had a, they just bit an apple, and you kick them out of the Garden of Eden, and, and, and he just kind of gets this bad rap, you know? And we often leave out of that story the last, one of the last lines in the story, where it paints this beautiful picture of the God that we serve. God doesn't just, like, boot them out of the garden. He doesn't just kind of stand back uncaring and unloving. Rather, he looks at them in this place of brokenness. He looks at them in this place where they just, they're, 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 they're walking in shame, 
And God comes along, and listen to what he does. It says this. It says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. In other words, what God is doing is, is he's covering them. He's, he's not leaving them all exposed. He's coming into this place where they're at, and he's lovingly healing them and setting things right. And he wants to do the same for you. He wants to do the same for you. And then lastly, on the, the pathway to being free from shame is learn the truth about who you are in Christ. Learn the truth about who you are in Christ. I heard a, a speaker um, put it like this one time. He said, in the room of shame, we are who our, our, our sin declares us to be. In the room of grace, we are who Christ says that we are. You know, I would say in the room of shame, I mean, whatever that source of shame might be for you, we are whatever that, that thing says that we are. That thing that says, hey, there's something wrong with you. You're unlovely, you're unworthy, you're whatever. You could fill in the blank better than I could. But in the room of grace, you know, in, in, in Christ, we are who he says that we are. And it's more important to believe who he says that I am than even I say that I am. It's more important for you to believe what Christ says about you than you say about you. And listen, Jesus has got a lot of great things to say about you. A lot of great things. And I just want to share just, just a, a few of them. I love how in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about all this stuff. He talks about, um, uh, he, he talks about some, some uh, sin and things in our lives. And, and he, this is what he says. He says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. So if you're here this morning, you're going, it's something in the past that is that source of shame for you, and, and the, the, the voice of shame is saying that's who you are. That's not what God's word says about you. God's word says, no, that's what you were. Then it goes on to say, but you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Shame disappears when I understand that, that my past is who I was. It's not who I am. It's not who, who I am. And it also disappears when my identity is rooted and established in the love of Christ. When it's rooted right there. It's not in who shame says that you are. It's rooted in, no, this is what Jesus says about me. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 5. He said, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walked in the way of love. Dearly loved children. That's who you are in Christ. Dearly loved daughter, dearly loved son, you are a dearly loved child in Christ. It is impossible. It's impossible you can't hold your identity in Christ and shame at the same time. You just can't because they are absolutely opposed to one another. This shame that says there's something wrong with you, you, you can't hold that and what Christ says about you at the same time because Christ says, no, I have come and set you free. When I look at you, I see holiness. When I look at you, I see what's right. When I look at you, I see son or daughter of the king of kings. And they are totally opposed to one another. Learn the truth about who you are in Christ. 
Christ says love. Christ says new creation. Christ sees holy. He sees made right. That's who, he's, who he sees when he looks at you. That is your identity in Christ. And shame will disappear when your identity is rooted and established in the love of Jesus. It just will. It just will. And so I want to encourage you this morning. We've, we've brought up a ton of stuff. And wherever you're at, you know, maybe for you what, what, what God is saying to you is he's saying, you know what, you've got to begin to come out of hiding. I know it's a scary thing to do. I know it just seems like a big step. And I know you, you, you feel like you might get your heart trampled on all over again. But you've got to begin to come out of hiding. Find some people in your life or get some people in your life. Begin to build some relationships. Get people around you that you, you can just share with. And, hey, here's what I'm going through. Maybe for you, you've already got those relationships. It's friends, it's family, and you just got to start opening up and, start, and stop keeping it at this, this surface level stuff and start bringing people in on what's really going on down, down inside here. Or maybe you're here and you're going, okay, I don't have any of those. I just don't have relationships. I'm, I just don't. Listen, one of the reasons that we've got this thing called a church, which is, by, by the way, not this building. Look at the building, but it's not the building. It's the church is right here. One of the reasons for the church is so that we can have these kind of relationships where we can grow, where we can be real with one another, we can just share what God's doing in our lives. And, and this, it doesn't happen just by showing up here on a weekend. It, it happens as you begin to get into relationship with people. You know, maybe that means getting in a small group. Maybe that means showing up on a Monday night if you're a lady and being a part of the women's ministry where they, you know, there's, they, they talk about life. Maybe it means you, uh, we got a group of guys that hangs out on Friday morning down at, at, at Hagen and, and, and getting around these guys and just, just opening up, coming, coming out of hiding and being real with who you are. Maybe it means for you, just you, you go to a place of authenticity that you've, you've never been in before. But whatever you got to do, begin taking that step towards freedom. Maybe for you, you're, you're going... God, the Holy Spirit this morning is saying, you have buried an area of your life so deep, and yet that area from way back there, that whatever that source of shame might be, it, it's buried so deep, but it is affecting everything in your life today. And what you've got to do is you've got to go back to that source of shame, whatever it might be, and allow God to come in and heal. And I can't tell you this morning exactly what that looks like. You know, it might be starting with a friend. It, it might be counseling. I don't know what it might be. But if you feel like the Spirit of God is saying you've got to go back, figure out what that looks like and begin to move towards that. Lastly, if you're going, my identity is just has been so rattled because of shame. It's been so rattled. Dig into, tell Jesus that. And then begin to share that with friends that you trust and then begin to go to God's Word and just see what does God's Word really say about who I am and let Him speak to you about who you are. Don't be stuck in shame. It is a horrible place to be stuck. It, it robs you of life. It sucks all the joy out of life. It's, it, it sucks all the, you know, all the, the, it sucks friendship and the closeness that you get from sh- friendship. It sucks all that away. Don't be stuck in shame. Let God, let him set you free. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I this morning, Lord, just want to pray that you would do what we've been talking about, that Jesus, you would heal, that you would set people free. 
Lord, may we, uh, Lord, just have your Holy Spirit come alongside of us and show us exactly what needs to happen for us to be in the move towards that, that place of being free from shame. And Lord, I thank you that you love us so much, that, Lord, you don't abandon us, you don't stand off, but, Lord, you see us at this, this place of struggle, this place uh, of shame, of just feeling like there's something wrong with who we are. And, Lord, you come in, you come after us, and you want to set us free. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that, that, Lord, for the person that's been hiding out, that, Jesus, you would give them courage. Lord, for the person that, is, that, that knows there's something in the past that, that they need to go back to and, and revisit so that you can begin to bring healing, Lord, I pray, Jesus, that they would have the courage to go back there knowing that, that their heavenly Father is right there walking back there with them. And, Lord, for, for the person here this morning who's their identity, they just, this morning they're going, I don't even really know who I am. And Lord, even as they, they hear me talk this morning about who they are in you and how they're dearly, a dearly beloved child, Lord, it's like it just, it, just, it just rattles off their head and it doesn't sink down deep into their heart. Lord, I pray that you would cause that message about who you see, how you see them, Lord, cause it to go from their head to their heart. God, I pray that the truth would, would set people free from shame. Lord, we want to walk in wholeness. We want to walk in who you say that we are. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would help, that you would be that for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.